I want you to hear that this morning, that no matter what happens, you can live again. We're going to say that enough times today that uh, I trust that this afternoon it's going to be stuck in your mind and you'll find yourself thinking it at odd moments, no matter what happens. There you go. Come on, we'll get you. I thought, I thought it was the 830 crowd, but I guess it's everybody picking on the first service. They're not even here. No matter what happens, you can... There you go. Thank you. That's the message here this morning for Easter. You know, we love, we love comeback stories. Oh, the ki- are the kids to be dismissed today? I didn't know if I, I assumed I got it wrong. I, always, I, I assumed Elaine had it right. <laughs> so, okay, well, kids, you can be dismissed to your kids, to your classes if you would. The All the, only the kindergartners and those, and under, right? Kindergarten and under. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, you know, uh, a year ago, nobody thought Tiger Woods would do anything. They figured he was done. A washed-up has-been. And last weekend, unless you've been hiding under a rock, you know what happened. Tiger sort of made a comeback and uh, won the Masters Tournament. Michael Jordan said it was the greatest comeback of all time. I think that might be an overstatement, but you know I appreciate his zeal for his friend. It was certainly a big comeback and happy for Tiger. We love comeback stories. Love them. We don't like the setbacks, and nobody likes to be in a setback. Setbacks aren't fun, but comebacks, oh, they're great. We like comebacks. Easter, I propose to you, is the greatest comeback in the history of the world. Jesus Christ was dead, and I mean dead, no breath, buried three days. It's not like he died and then three minutes later woke up again. No, he was dead, buried for three days. And then nobody, you know, he told people that he would do it. He did. And scripture predicts it, talks about it. And you know, none of Jesus's closest friends expected it. They, they were all just as shocked as those that didn't believe in Jesus that he came back, despite the fact that Jesus told him that he was going to come back. Like, it's amazing. Jesus makes the greatest comeback of all time. Listen, Jesus didn't die. Death did. Jesus kicked death in the teeth. And as a result of defeating death, Jesus defeated the greatest enemy that you and I have, the, 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 most, the most threatening enemy that you and I have, the one thing that like we literally can't do a thing about, but Jesus defeated that. And so therefore, the hopeful message of Easter is that if Jesus can defeat the grave, then Jesus can defeat any lesser foe in your life and mine, which means no matter what happens, you can Thank you. There we go. I just simply want to look at four little stories in the Bible this morning that just illustrate. They're just live again stories. We just saw a video with live again stories, people in our own church. I'm so thankful for what God did in their lives. And you know, we could have probably interviewed every one of us. Every one of us has a live again story to one degree or another. We could have put everybody's, everybody's story up there. This morning, I just want to look at four in the Bible. The first one is a man that literally died. So after literally dying, you can 
live again. And the story is found in John chapter 11. It's the story of Lazarus. Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, they were good friends of Jesus. Jesus actually would hang out at their house a lot. There was a, there was a, we don't really know when they became friends or how they became friends, but we know, the Bible tells us, they were pretty close. And so when Lazarus got sick, the first thing that Martha did was call for Jesus to come and heal him because, hey, if Jesus is your friend... You kind of, that, that's a pretty good friend to have. So she sends him an email, drops him a text. I don't know what she did. Jesus, you got to come because Lazarus is sick. And Jesus didn't come. Anybody been disappointed by Jesus because you thought for sure he was going to come and should come and probably should because he's your friend. If Jesus is my friend, why wouldn't he back me up? We think that question sometimes. It's a legitimate question. Martha wrestled with it. Jesus is my friend. I called. You love Lazarus. He's sick. You can heal him. Heal him. And yet Jesus didn't. He waited. Because Jesus knew that there was something better coming. And I propose to you that that's one of the reasons why some of our prayers don't get answered the way we want them to get answered. Because God has something better. See, I think this is the best, but God knows this is the best. And I want God's best. Not the best that I can come up with, but I want His best. You want His best? I know, I do. So Martha calls for Jesus. Jesus doesn't come. By the time Jesus gets there, he shows up late. Thank you, Jesus, for coming finally. And she says, Lord, I'm in verse 21. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. We do that. We put our miracles off until the great someday. Because what that does is that helps me to deal with the disappointment now. If it doesn't work out the way I think it should work out, like that's my, that's my out. So, so someday when I die and go to heaven, then it's all going to be okay, and that's great. That's what Martha does. Yeah, Lord, I know he's going to rise again someday. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Listen, Martha, I'm not just the guy that can raise him from the dead. Like, I actually am resurrection. So if I'm present, he's living. I am the resurrection and the life. And he says, the one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? She says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who's come into the world. Do you notice how she didn't answer his question? Jesus said, look at the question again. Do you believe that I'm the resurrection and the life? Well, Lord, yeah, you're, you're God. No, that's not the question. Do you believe that Jesus is the breakthrough king? Do you believe that Jesus is the miracle worker? Do you believe that he's the healer? Oh, yeah, you're God. No, that's not the question. 
do I believe that Jesus has the power to do this? Do I believe that Jesus is at work in this right now? That's the question. And the answer, my friend, is a resounding yes, because then what happens next? The end of the story. Jesus stands there. He's been buried in a tomb for four days. They even say, Jesus, by now, he's probably doesn't smell good, and it's a whole ugly scene inside that tomb right now. And so Jesus, and Jesus insists they roll the stone away, and Jesus calls Lazarus forth. And Lazarus returns to life again. And I always imagine kind of what that would look like, too, if I was Lazarus. And I wish that we got the rest of the story for Lazarus. I wish that we would get the picture from heaven for Lazarus. Like, was Lazarus all set to tee up on the golf course in heaven with Peter and the angel Gabriel? And he swings back to take the drive, and then it's, come forth! Lazarus suddenly drops his club, and next thing you know, he shows back up in the tomb again, wrapped up in those clothes. I wonder what that looked like. And was Lazarus disappointed? Was Lazarus like, I'm back here again? What a downgrade. And then, do you think Lazarus was ever afraid of dying after that? I don't think so. In fact, the Bible tells us that there were people that were plotting Lazarus' death again. They, because Lazarus was such a powerful testimony to Jesus' power to raise him from the dead, that, that there were people actually plotting to kill him. And I think, you guys, you, you don't get that, do you? You know that he's already been through that. So he's, I, don't, I doubt he's afraid of your threat. Amazing. The point is this. Friends, after literally dying, you can live again because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. In him we have life. So if that can be done, anything else can be done, including these next three. Look at this next one. You can live again after failure. And I know that these are common stories. Some of you guys are going to say, oh, yeah, I already know this one. That's fine. But I just want you to be encouraged today. You need to have the hope of Easter. That needs to be birthed in your soul to understand you're, you're the victor. You're not the victim. So the second one is even after failure, you can live again. Peter, in Matthew chapter 26, Matthew chapter 26, he's at the Last Supper with Jesus and his disciples. They're all there, and, and Jesus says, you guys are going to betray me. And, Jesus sa- and Peter says, no way, Lord, I'm never going to betray you. Everybody else might, Lord. And Peter is all tough and rumble. And no way, Jesus, I'm with you all the way to the end, Jesus. And then we know that just a couple of hours later, it didn't last long. A couple of hours later, the first one was a slave girl, a girl. She asked Peter if he was a follower of Jesus, and Peter denied that he knew Jesus. Do you catch the significance of that? Nothing against little girls, but one minute Peter is as tough as men can be, pronouncing that he will die with Jesus. In the next minute, it's a young girl who asks him a question, and Peter buckles under the pressure. Don't miss the irony of that. Peter, the tough guy, was not so tough. 
And then he denies Christ two more times. And then the scripture tells us that in that moment, oh, this is one of the most moving scenes, I think, in all of the Bible. Peter denies Christ the third time, and, the, and scripture tells us the rooster crows, and Peter looked across the courtyard, and his eyes met Jesus' eyes. In that moment, and Peter's heart was filled with grief, and Scripture tells us that he ran outside and he wept bitterly. And then several days later, the crucifixion, the resurrection, mean, the crucifixion happens the next day, resurrection, and three days later, not quite sure exactly how much, a few days later, Peter is fishing with the boys in the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus shows up on the beach, and he's got breakfast ready over a fire in the early morning light. And Jesus invites the boys to have breakfast with him. And Jesus asks Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? See, Peter denied Jesus three times, so Jesus asked Peter three times, Peter, you love me? I love you. You love me? I love you. You, you love me? I love you, Jesus. Jesus restores Peter. And this man who one time had failed Jesus miserably, he's known for his failure. This man then preaches the sermon on Pentecost Sunday that births the church. 3,000 people begin to follow. They trust Jesus as their Savior that day. And history is made. And he goes on to be the leader of the early church. In fact, Peter went on to be killed for his faith in Jesus. He actually did. His dying breath was for Jesus and not against him. And history tells us that Peter opted to be crucified upside down instead of the way that Jesus was because Peter didn't consider himself worthy to die the same way that his Lord died. Can you come back from failure? Heck yes. After failure, you can live again. You can also live again after lost integrity. Zacchaeus is a great little example of lost integrity and how Jesus can restore us. In Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10, we, I just want to read his story because it's just a fun one. Luke chapter 19 verses 1 to 10. It says this, that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, uh, go on. So when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and they began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up at dinner and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. 
Listen, Zacchaeus, we're told, was a chief tax collector. Tax collectors made their living literally by swindling people. There wasn't a penny that Zacchaeus earned in an honest way. And not only was he a swindler, not only was he a thief, but Zacchaeus, as a tax collector, was a traitor. Because as a Jewish man, he was working for the Roman oppressor to collect taxes for Rome. And the way that he made his living was to overcharge people what Rome was charging them. And we're told that he was a chief tax collector, which meant there was sort of a pyramid scheme going on there. And he had guys working under him, and every dollar they earned extra was another buck for him, and it went on and on and on. And next thing you know, he's a very wealthy man. In other words, Zacchaeus is not a guy that people trusted. He's not a guy that people liked. He's the guy that everybody avoided. The Bible tells us that he climbed up in the sycamore tree to get a look at Jesus, and that's kind of ironic because the sycamore fig tree, it didn't really bear figs. It was a junk tree. And so people, it, it was sort of interesting that you got this bum in a bum tree. That's kind of the idea. That's what the Bible wants you to catch. He, he's fully a bum. And Jesus says, today the day, today, I got to go to your house, Zacchaeus. And, and you got to love how religion blinds you, doesn't it? Because all the religious people are saying, can you believe that? They're muttering over the fact that Jesus would go to dinner with this guy. They don't even see what God's really doing. Because God is changing this guy right in front of their eyes, but they don't see it. All they can see is Jesus is hanging out with this guy. And yet God's doing an amazing thing, isn't he? Zacchaeus' heart is changing, and then Zacchaeus declares, I'll tell you what, I'm going to pay back all the stuff that I stole. I'm going to give a bunch of money to the poor. I'm going to give it all away. And, and if I stole anything, which would have been yes, I'm going to pay back four times all that I stole from people. Can you imagine how that went? I like to picture that. Zacchaeus comes up to somebody's front door. And you look out and you see that it's Zacchaeus. And you go, uh, Martha, hide the wallet. Put, put away the gold. Put away the silver. Hide the hide this china. Zacchaeus is here. You start to get nervous. That pit of your stomach sinks because you know it's going to be a confrontation. You know it. Every other time Zacchaeus came to your front door, it was a confrontation. Every other time you felt slimy, you needed to shower after you interacted with Zacchaeus because it's like, man, this guy is ripping me off. And you know it. And there's really nothing you could do about it. And now he's standing at your front door again. And so you carefully open the front door because... And Zacchaeus has this goofy look on his face. He's beaming. And you're not used to that. You go, wow, Zacchaeus is smiling? Like he's always had that shifty, shady look in his face. And now he's beaming at your front door. And then Zacchaeus starts off. You don't, he don't, you don't even get a chance to talk. Zacchaeus starts right away. Hey, listen, I, uh, I want you to know I was wrong. I, uh, I, I stole from you a bunch of times, actually. And, uh, and I'm here today to humbly ask for your forgiveness. I'm asking that you forgive me, please. And um, I know that I can't make this right. I know that I can't, I can't fix all of the harm that I caused in your life, but, but maybe this check will help at least 
some of the cash and pay some bills for you. And, and, and I know it's not much, but it's just four times what I stole from you. So here, here's the check. And, and he hands you the check, and you're speechless. And Zacchaeus just walks away. Thank you. And he walks away. And you're like, what just happened? Yeah, you know what just happened? A changed man came to your front door. I'm here to tell you today that Jesus Christ can live again, and you, my friend, after a bad reputation, can live again. Your reputation does not have to define who you are. In Christ, your reputation can be changed. Now, is there some work that you might have to do? Absolutely. Did Zacchaeus have to write a few checks? Yes. Did Zacchaeus have to say I'm sorry a few times? Probably. Did he have to ask for forgiveness? Oh, yeah. Zacchaeus had some work to do. But you need to know something. Your reputation, after a bad reputation, you can live again. Your reputation does not have to define who you are. Jesus overcame the grave, and he can, with you, overcome that bad reputation and make it right. So that's the second, the next one. The last one is this. You can live again after rejection. And for this, we go to the woman at the well, John chapter 4. I have to be honest with you that uh, in my humble opinion, I think that we get her wrong because um, we tend to read John chapter 4 through our modern Western civilization lens and you realize she didn't live in the modern Western civilization. She lived in the first century, Palestine, under Roman rule. And in that culture, women had no rights. In that culture, it was not a woman's... A woman had no ability to divorce her husband whatsoever. Divorce was completely 100% in the hands of the husband. And so... John chapter 4 tells us that Jesus encounters this woman at the well in the center of town in Samaria, and that Jesus speaks to her and he says, you know, you've had five husbands. And we tend to read that and we say, oh, that must mean she was kind of a loosey-goosey, and that's not at all the case. No, what that is is that's a woman who has been rejected by five different men, and we don't even know why, because uh, in that culture a man could divorce his wife for any reason. It was literally no-fault divorce. So who knows what she did? She couldn't have done, didn't have to do anything. All he had to do was say, I'm not happy with her, and write her a certificate of divorce, and she was done. This is not a woman who was loose. This is a woman who was rejected. And then the sixth man that she's living with, he didn't even respect her enough to marry her. Jesus, I propose to you, was probably one of the first men in this woman's entire life to actually treat her like a human being and respect her and honor her as a child, as a daughter of God. And Jesus, in his conversation with her at the well that day, he restored her. She went to the well in the afternoon, the Bible tells us, because, because women didn't go to the well in the afternoon. You go to the well in the early morning while it's still cool to get your water for the day. And the well was the center of town. It was kind of where, the, it was where all the gossip happened. It was where you got your news. It's where you found out that Bob was doing this and Mary was doing that and Fred was doing this. It was where you heard all the stuff, whose kids were in college and whatever, right? You heard all of it at the well. 
And this woman didn't come early in the morning, the Bible tells us in John chapter 4. She came in the afternoon because she was not part of the gossip. She probably was the gossip. She was the topic many days. So it's just better to avoid that. So this is a woman who's alone. This is a woman who's rejected. And Jesus restores her. And her life is forever changed. She goes back into this little village of Samaria, and she starts telling everybody about Jesus, about her interaction with this guy at the well named Jesus. And the town starts to listen to her, and there's like a mini revival takes place in this little village. I mean, people start to follow Jesus as a result of this lady's testimony. Do you see how changed she would be in order for that to happen? Catch that? As a result of her testimony... People left the village and went to Jesus, and many of them placed their faith in Jesus. This woman had been so changed and so impacted by her interaction with Jesus that people actually listened to her. That's a crazy. Don't overlook those little details of the story. It's powerful. My friends, no matter what happens, you can... Can I say that again? Can we do that again? No matter what happens, you can live again. You really can. Jesus beat the grave, so anything else can be beat as well. No matter what happens, you can live again. You know, Easter reveals how far God will go to be your friend. I don't know about you, but I'm so humbled by that. I think, what does God see in me? I mean, you're the God of the universe. You, you rule galaxies. You've got them all. You've got things in your, in your, in your creation that I'll never see. I mean, they're just, the, the world, the universe is so huge, and God, you have it all. Why would you possibly want me? What does God see in you and me that makes him want us? I can answer it this way. Here's what he sees. He sees one he loves, He sees one he loves who got lost. He sees one he loves who got lost, who needs to be led back home. He sees one he loves who got lost, who needs to be led back home, who needs to let him lead. Will you let him lead? If he defeated the grave, which he did, and he lives today, which he does, I think he knows what he's doing. Amen? I know you're you're waiting for something more profound. I don't got it. That's about as deep as I get right there. You're like, how do I tweet that? There's nothing to tweet. You know, uh, so... (laughs) <laughs> you know, Karis and I have had these chickens for several years, and um, we've now had three flocks of chickens. And so one of the things that we've learned in our chicken experience is that, is that when they're chicks, you need to handle them a lot so that they become comfortable with you. And so we have our first flock of chickens, and now they're old girls, and they're really not laying eggs anymore, but we keep them because 
their pets, and I call them freeloaders because they don't give us any eggs, but I'm feeding them every day. So my freeloaders are there. But, you know, they, they are great because they follow Karis. She's so cute. Karis walks. The, the chickens follow her around the yard. It's really kind of funny. And we can pick them up and everything. They're very comfortable with us. But then we have this second flock of chickens that we had just a year or so ago, and we did not handle them when they were chicks. We just didn't, and we, were, we took care of them and all, but we didn't you know, love on them, I guess, the way we did the first flock. And so now these mature birds are not comfortable with us at all. They run from us. And um, last night, we had, they, yesterday they were out of the pen for a little while, and last night it's raining, and so I go to put them all back in, and I get all the chickens back in except this one. And I spent a half hour or so in the rain, running around the backyard, chasing this dumb chicken. <laughs> and I'm like, come on, chicken, how do I get you? And I just reached down to grab her, and she'd take off, and she never let me grab her. I'm running around the yard like a crazy man trying to get this bird. And finally, finally, she ran into the woods and under a pile of brush and stuff. And I, at that point, I gave up. I said, I'm done, bird. You're, you're dead. You, uh, I got, I, we, we got raccoon, we got possum, we got fox, we got hawk. All of them love chicken dinner. And I'm like, there's no way. You are under, you're, I can't even get you. So there's nothing I can do. So I just figured, you know, I guess the dumb ones die first. It's okay. So I walk away. I, yeah. so, uh, so, she, so, she, so we walk away. So I, I figure it's a loss. And then Karis, the chicken whisperer, a half hour later, she comes out and she does her magic. And for those of you that were upset at me a second ago, the chicken made it. Everything's just fine. It all worked out well. And my... My point is, yeah, yeah, every day for the chicken. Lived another day, okay. So my point is simply this. You know, that chicken's running from the pair of hands, the one pair of hands that actually can do the most for it. Literally running from my, like, I am your protection, I'm your provider, I, I, I actually care for you. You're running from my hands. And you're running right underneath that brush, right into the jaws of who knows what that's hiding in that pile of brush waiting to eat you. And I thought, we do the same thing with God. And I don't mean to diminish who you are. I'm not calling you a chicken. But we kind of are that way. Because God, God's hands are the only hands that we're the safest in. His hands are the only hands that genuinely care for us. His nail-scarred hands are the only ones that actually love you for who you are. They protect you. They care for you. They provide for you. His hands are the best hands for you to be in, and yet we run from his hands right into the jaws of the wolf. God says, God's hands come to me, and he goes, hey, I want you to I want you to forgive that person because that's how you're going to be free. And we say, oh, I can't do that. We run. God's hands come to me and he goes, hey, you're single. I, I, want, you to, I want you to guard your purity and prepare for marriage someday. And we go, oh, I can't do that. God's hands come to me. He says, hey, listen, the secret, the key right here is, is why don't you be generous? Oh, I can't afford that. 
You get that? I mean, on and on and on it goes. I could list hundreds of them. His hands come to me, and he's inviting me to freedom. He's inviting me to protection. He's inviting me to his blessing, and I run from it right into the hands of the wolf. Friends, we need to learn that the nail-scarred hands are the hands that we can trust the most. And I might not understand it. I might not understand it. Chances are good I probably don't understand his ways a lot of the time. But I can trust his ways. And if I follow his ways, mm, there's blessing there. There's healings there. There's restoration there. Again, my friends, we've got to trust those nail-scarred hands. So listen, today, today, we're here. I was looking at our cross this morning. Early on, I was praying in here, and, and I'm just so, I, I love, I love this, what the guys did recently in putting that together. And uh, yeah, it's nice. Yeah, thank you guys. But I, but I was thinking this morning, uh, the cross is a symbol. It wasn't on that day. On Good Friday, the cross was not a symbol. Oh no. But today, the cross is a symbol. And the grave, oh, the grave is empty. But it wasn't that weekend. But today, it's empty. And the work is done. Jesus did everything that he needs to do in order to make you right with God. He did everything that he needs to do in order to give you the hope that no matter what happens, you can live again. Thank you, Jesus, for your great love for us. We are just so forever indebted to you for your goodness and your kindness to us, Lord. Father, uh, I pray now for uh, those who are going to be baptized. I thank you for these uh, ladies, and Lord, I pray your supreme blessing upon them as they obey you in these waters. And uh, we ask this in Jesus' name.